0: Welcome to Classic Vinyl Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Justin, and I'm here with my other host, Tyler.
1: Here I am. I've decided to come again.
0: Well, that's good. It's good you showed up. Yeah, finally. Yeah, so you excited about getting to this album tonight? You know, uh
1: yeah, this one's uh this one's a little different color.
0: Yeah, it was different than what uh, you're used to. Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing that's uh I I know I said this right before we put the album on, I should say that you hadn't heard any of these songs on this album most likely is that true?
1: I would say that's 98% true.
0: Now where do you get that other 2% from then?
1: I believe that there uh, was a section of this of uh, one of the songs that was in the movie Twister. So I had
0: heard that. Riff <laughs> I'm not before. sure of that, but that could be true. So I guess we got to take care of a little business first. We had Eric from Wisconsin email us that he was a little upset over our review on Cream. He thought that our uh, album ratings, I think we both rated as a 7. Yeah, we, I was a little... Uh, you might have rated it even a little lower. I think I, I, I think
1: I gave it a 6, yeah.
0: Yeah, he didn't think that was in line with how good it is. And I just want to straighten mm-hmm. something up that, you know, we're not professionals. We're just people like everyone mm-hmm. else. We just tell you how it is. You know, Cream, was a,
1: they're a great band. I, I enjoyed the album, and... Uh, you know, but it just it wasn't my cup of tea.
0: well, and see for me, I didn't enjoy the album. that's why I rated it that mm-hmm. way. I think there's four really good songs mm-hmm. and, the re- and some mediocre and some that aren't good at all. And I'm rating it as a complete album. And I think I did say mm-hmm. in the episode that, you know, if we took three or four of the best songs on there, those are nine out of 10 songs without yeah. a doubt. And so that, that one was kind of where I'm at, but we can only do what
1: we can do, right? Yeah, I, I guess maybe they put together this cream of the crop band and I expect a little bit more.
0: Well, I think their singles that they released, Mm -hmm. their heavy rotation songs, and as you get into their later albums, I think, I mean, I'm not sitting here reviewing them, but I have listened to them, and I would rate some of their, you know, their last two albums a little better, so it is what it is.
1: Sorry, Eric, but... Obviously, you you have a much better opinion of them, or of, at least of that album.
0: Well, and of course, that's all it is—is is an opinion. It is what mm-hmm. it is, and we think what we think, and that's mm-hmm. all we're here to do, right?
1: Yeah. And uh, once again, feel free to send us any kind of uh, criticism, or you know, if if you think we were unfair to past albums, call us out.
0: It's yeah, tell okay. us. We'll we'll read them on air. We're not afraid. Mm-hmm we're not afraid to uh you know if people disagree with us or yeah. whatever we're fine with it it'll probably hurt my feelings i'm pretty thin skinned yeah maybe a little yeah. bit but that's why we're reviewing them this is what our thoughts are on the albums <laughs> and we're just being honest so it is yeah. what it is now tonight's album is going to be interesting cuz we're getting to one of the you know one of the groups that's highly considered one of the first heavy metal or hard rock bands or or someone who really started that movement, I should say. And of course that's deep purple. Yeah, this was a very heavy album. <laughs> it really is, especially even for nineteen seventies standards, mm-hmm. but even for today's standards, it's it's a a shock mm-hmm. to the system. It's an album I've liked for quite a few years. You know, we obviously could have picked Machine Head, their mm-hmm. number one best selling album of all time, but In Rock to me is a, a better example of mm-hmm you know, the Mark II lineup. So okay. it'll be kind of interesting. Let me give you a little history on Deep Purple first. They're an English rock band. They were formed in London in nineteen sixty eight. So they've been around for a little while. And a lot of the early songs they released, you know, on they have famously Mark One, Two, Three, and Four lineups just kind of describing the different lineups Deep Purple <laughs> had. And on their Mark One lineup they were more in line with the sounds of the British. You know, the the different bands coming yeah. out of Britain. Hush was their first big song that came out and it's nothing like the in rock album. It's a completely different feel. A you know, this was kind of the first album mm-hmm. for the Mark, not kind of, it was the first album for the Mark II lineup, the new lineup. Yeah. They decided to go the heavy rock route. If that's what they were out to accomplish, they they did it. Oh,
1: yeah, they definitely hit the
0: bullseye on that one. They are considered to be pioneers of heavy metal and hard rock. Them and, you know, Black Sabbath especially. I mm-hmm. think more so Deep Purple is than Black Sabbath.
1: I'd have to agree. These guys are much heavier than Black
0: Sabbath was. You know, the funny thing is, though, the band themselves, Mm -hmm. they dispute this and just see themselves as a heavy blues rock band.
1: So, you know, I I can see that too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a little of both. And I think one thing that sets Deep Purple, especially in the In Rock album that we'll get into apart from Mm -hmm. other heavy metal, is the use of the organ in this. Yeah. You know, Deep Purple, they've sold over 100 million albums worldwide. It's nothing to scoff at there. I mean, they're a very popular band, even through all their different lineup changes and things. They've released 22 studio albums, a ton of live albums, compilations, reissues, everything like that. And like I stated earlier, they—you know many people that know Deep Purple refer to their lineups as Mark 1, Mark 2, 3, and 4, just to describe. The original lineup, which was Mark 1, was consisted of Richie Blackmore on guitar, Rod Evans on vocals, John Lord on keyboard, Ian Pace on drums, and Nick Simper on bass. And on the Mark I lineup, they uh, recorded the first album, Shades of Deep Purple. It reached number 24 in the U.S., The Book of Talison, and uh, Deep Purple, the self-titled album. Mm-hmm. Also, the Mark I lineup, their big hit was Hush. It reached number four on the U.S. charts. And it is completely different music than this. And they also did a cover of Neil Diamond's Kentucky Woman that reached number 38 in the U.S. So those are kind of their big hits, you know, before they got to the Mark II lineup. Now, the Mark II lineup consists of Ian Gillen on vocals, Roger Glover on bass, and they actually replaced Evan and Simper. Mark II lineup is considered their most successful, their most... You know, well-known and popular lineup. You know, they they released the album In Rock that we're going to do tonight, which it reached number four in the UK, number 66 in the US. Fireball reached number one in the UK, number 32 in the US. Machine Head, which is their most popular, reached number one in the UK, number seven in the US. Made in Japan reached number 16 in the UK, six in the US. And Who Do You Think We Are was four in the UK and 15 in the US. So most of their albums are in the top 20 on these Mark II lineups.
1: Yeah, these guys had a their they had a a style of their own that really resonated with people.
0: Oh, it's certainly a different style, and I mean you can tell the beginnings of hard rock in this. Yeah. I mean this album it kicks right off the beginning. Mm-hmm. But so if we get into the Mark III lineup, you know they actually replaced Ian Gillan the vocals with David Coverdale, which David Coverdale famously started the band White Snake in later years. That's where you know him from, and Glenn Hughes who. uh was on bass and vocals, and that replaced Ian Gillen and Roger Mm -hmm. Glover. Mark III albums were Burn, which reached number three in the UK, number nine in the US, and Stormbringer, which was six in the UK and 20 in the US. Mm -hmm. And then on the Mark IV lineup, you had Tommy Bolin on guitar replacing Richie Blackmore, who had actually founded the group. Some people feel like that's kind of when the group... Ended in a lot of ways, some don't. And they did have mild success. They released an album, Come Taste the Band, reached number 19 in the UK and number 43 in the US. So it wasn't too bad.
1: It wasn't a failure.
0: You know, there was multiple bands, to and from... Deep purple that mm. you could, there's just a whole family tree feeding yeah. into deep purple. Too many to mention. Well, it I mean. sounds it, like these these <laughs> band members went other bands and they come from other bands, and there there's a big family tree that you could do a whole episode on to, yeah. to go, go into that. So it's a little deeper than we're gonna go today. The band actually split in nineteen seventy six. You know, they had a ton of reunion shows, right? Mm. And then they actually had a Mark V, a Mark Six, a Mark Seven, a Mark Eight, <laughs> up to a Mark Nine lineup that aren't aren't near as popular, but just all kinds mm-hmm. of different lineups, you know. The the popular Mark II lineup that had the most success, they did revive that band for for about five years during the eighties. You've had a lot of popular guitar players like Joe Satriani, Steve Maurice, Don Airy, they've been in the band. Richie Blackmore, John Lord, Pace Gillen, Glover, Coverdale, Evans, Hughes, they were all inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016 with the band. Pretty much all the band members from the early, you know, Mark I through Mark IV were inducted Mm -hmm. into the Hall of Fame with the band. It's kind of interesting. So you're ready to get to the album? I am. And now it's time for the album review. Okay, so Deep Purple in Rock. It was released on June 5th of 1970. It's the band's fourth studio album, but it was actually the first album recorded with the Mark II lineup like we talked before. And once again, that's Richie Blackmore on guitars, Ian Gillen on vocals, Roger Glover on bass, John Lord on organ, and Ian Pace on drum. They recorded this album at various studios in the London area. Uh, They had multiple engineers, Andy Knight, Philip McDonald, Martin Birch. And Martin Birch actually produced the rest of their albums up to 1976 after after this album. In Rock reached number four in the UK, which is pretty amazing considering how heavy this album is, which kind of tells me the UK people were maybe ready for it more than the US was. Probably so. I mean, it did reach, it only reached uh, 43 in the US, which isn't bad. Certainly not in the top five like it did in the UK. You know, and this mainly was Deep Purple's attempt at recording heavy music after hearing Led Zeppelin's Mm -hmm. debut album, because they thought this is heavy and we want to outdo that. And that isn't disputed by them. I mean, Richie Blackmore says that's basically what they went in. You know, we need a heavier sound. Led Zeppelin's Mm -hmm. the new sound. We want to be heavier than that. They accomplished it. Yes, they did. There's no (laughs) doubt about that. Now the the cover of the album is kind of interesting. It's, it's, it features Mount Rushmore. It's a picture of Mount Rushmore, Mm -hmm. But instead of the presidents, it's got all the band members on the faces, you know, and that's where you get uh-huh. the in rock. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a double meaning, obviously. Yeah, play on words there. And another interesting thing about all the songs on the album, no matter who wrote them, all the songs are credited to all, fa- all five band members, which I like when groups do that yeah. because it just it seems more like a group than having mm-hmm. a storm ahead leader in a way, you know. Yeah. They had one single that was released – not off the album, but for the album, which was Black Knight. It's obviously not contained on the album. That reached number two in the UK and number 66 in the US. And they, funny enough, they released the single the same day as the album, which is kind of strange. They generally would release a single leading up to it to generate interest and in things in, in it, but they didn't do that. So. So,
1: so how does the song Black Knight compare to the songs on this album? Would it, is it a good example of what Deep Purple it, is? It is, it
0: is, and we actually probably should yeah. have listened to that to review that to review this, but mm-hmm. of course, we're just reviewing the album. The one difference about the U.S. album, as opposed to the U.K. album, is the opening song, Speed King, has like a one-minute, it's kind of an instrumental intro. Mm-hmm. And it's known as Waffle, W-O-F-F-L-E. It is not included on the U.S. album, so we didn't hear that because yeah. that's what we listened to is the U.S. vinyl. And it, it's kind of interesting. We'll have to listen to that one time. I've listened to it before, but <laughs> it's kind of neat just to have that on the song. Yeah, I I guess
1: I can understand why they would release the, um, just to back up a a second, about releasing the single separate from the album. If you buy, maybe this is a wave of the band, like, offering a gift to their listeners or their fans, like, hey, you know, we're not going to make you buy the single separate from the album. The single's going to fit with the album, so you're not going to have two copies of the same song. You're going to have something that complements.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, that was commonplace, Back then, especially in Britain, you know, the Beatles were common with it where they'd release a couple singles and then release the companion album to it, but they wouldn't put those singles on the Mm -hmm. album, right? So people would have to buy the singles if they wanted them, but then they bought the album, they weren't buying the singles again. Mm -hmm. A couple of things with the Beatles, like when they did Revolution as a single, Mm -hmm. and then it was on the White Album, but it was a different version. So that was kind of what you're... Kind of playing yeah. to what you're saying mm-hmm. is they didn't want people buying that song yeah. twice. And that's kind of what, you know, I kind of like that in a way. Yeah. But then, then at the same time, it's separated from the album, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In gen- so if
1: you want to listen to, you know, uh, Black Knight, you're going to have to buy
0: the single. Well, exactly. Yeah. But at least you want to buy it twice. Yeah. yeah. But, but the fact that they released it the same day doesn't make much sense to me because mm-hmm. generally you release a single, you know, weeks before the album to generate the interest in the album. It, and so you can, you know, get that going. But it's just kind of strange that it was released the same day, completely separate. But on the 25th anniversary reissue of In Rock, Black Knight single is included on the album, along with some other outtakes and things. So, and this has been a pretty, pretty popular album. It's sold over 13 million copies. You know, not a bad album for them. <laughs> In fact, it is the only Deep Purple album that has a book written about it. Oh, really? It's called The Story of Deep Purple in Rock. I haven't read it. I think with their famous Mark II lineup and going to this heavy music, it, it mm-hmm. was a turning point, not only especially for Deep Purple, but for music in general. I don't know what a lot of people say, but you know, it's funny that Deep Purple themselves refute the fact that they're the beginning of heavy metal because... I think in a lot of ways, sit down and listen to this album if you haven't, and tell Mm -hmm. me if you don't think this is different from everything else coming out in 1970. It's pretty hard. Yeah, Yeah. it is. So I think it's time to get the album. You're ready to go. Yep. So here's side one. Side one. So it opens up with Speed King. And boy, does it open (laughs) up. Super heavy introduction. Yeah, this is a heavy song. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's got an amazing bass riff. This whole song was developed from a Roger Glover bass riff that he actually was intending to emulate Jimi Hendrix's song, Fire. He had heard Fire, and he mm-hmm. thought, I love that bass riff. He wanted to turn it up, make it heavier, and he did a good job. because It sounds I, just like Hendrix. It, yeah, yeah but, but in a heavier way. It's, yeah. it's kind of strange. but mm-hmm. And this is kind of the thing about this. This whole album, and I love the album, but the vocals are kind of strange in it. And I mean Mm -hmm. that because they're kind of almost in the background with a lot of reverb and a lot of echo on them. You know, some songs are worse than others. It's hard hearing the vocals. Now, I don't listen to the new remaster, so I don't know if they brought those vocals forward or not. It's kind of the way I'm used to yeah. hearing it, right? I I didn't hear very many of the lyrics. No, I, it, I, I it, did
1: catch him say "I am the Speed King" a couple times.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, during the chorus, mm-hmm. yeah. And this song was originally known as "Kneel and Pray." It was a live mm-hmm. song that they really you know, just developed over years of playing it live Uh into this heavy song. So, and obviously this is the song that originally had that one minute intro, Mm -hmm. instrumental intro called Waffle Waffle on the UK album, but not on the US album. As far as I'm concerned, you know, with this song, it's got, you know, good guitar in it, but this isn't one of the songs that's super prominent with guitar. The bass is definitely more prominent on this than anything. The bass is the star. Yeah, it is.
1: There is good drumming in it but but there's a really good mix there with the keyboard and the guitar.
0: Yeah, the yeah. the solo with the mm-hmm. the keyboard. Yeah, well, I'd call it a duet because the guitar complements the Well, yeah, it kind of that. starts with a guitar solo, yeah. then it goes into a uh, keyboard solo yeah. and then they kind mm-hmm. of mix in. They mix in, yeah. It's pretty cool sounding, you know, mm-hmm. and but the guitar with the exception of that solo and the ending. The ending's like a crazy, messy guitar <laughs> yeah, sound. And it does that
1: crash ending that's very typical of heavy metal.
0: Yeah, kind yeah. of in a way. And, and you know what I like? It's hard to call, when I say the word heavy metal or hard rock, you know, I'm not thinking like Megadeth and Metallica and those anthrax and those kind of things, because this is completely different music than that.
1: No, this is like a really heavy blues
0: rock. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It, it is like mm-hmm. a heavy blues like 10 years after or Led Zeppelin or something like that, but turned up to 10, you know, sped up and turned up. Well,
1: not to mention that these guys are all just beating the crap out of their instruments. These guys are playing their guts out.
0: Yeah, in an amazing way. Yeah,
1: and it sounds good. I mean, it's not enough to get you discord enough that like it's just really heavy, really hard rock.
0: Yeah, what what really stands out to me, especially in this album, obviously Richie and is guitar. He's an amazing guitar player. Yeah. He he does amazing. But I think one thing that's overlooked as far as history is many people might not know John Lord's name as playing the organ, but this guy kills it. When you're talking rock and roll history, you don't hear a lot of organ. There's a lot of it in the Doors, and there's <laughs> there's some other bands like Iron Butterfly and those that use it to a certain extent, but these guys, it's very prominent throughout, and not only is it prominent, it breaks down into some heavy solos with organ and creepy sounding. Yeah. But he yeah. he plays it. He doesn't just sit back on it and play oh, yeah. a couple notes like mm-hmm. a piano. He he treats it like a true instrument. No,
1: we we haven't seen anything like this since Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. That's that's an interesting comparison. That is a very interesting. How about maybe since Chopin?
0: One of the two, but okay. I don't think either of them played an electric <laughs> organ. They didn't play it that hard,
1: I'll tell you that. No, Neither they certainly of them. didn't.
0: So that opens up a Speed King. It's definitely a pace setter for the album. Yeah, it There's is. There's no doubt about that. Excellent way to start the album. So second song, uh, Bloodsucker. This song was recorded at both the Lane Leah Studios and Abbey Road Studios in London to finish it up. The one thing about this song for me, I think it's got a good bass line. I mm-hmm. like the guitar riff runs and the choruses and throughout and the screaming in this from Ian Gillen yeah. is he's an amazing vocalist. and And I guess that's why I say, you know, the vocals are a little background in a lot of these songs and have maybe a little too much reverb and Mm -hmm. echo on them because I'd like to hear the vocals a little better because Ian Gillen's a pretty measured singer. And even when he screams, it fits in with, it just fits in with the feel of the song, right? Yeah. Something I noticed about his
1: singing in this is he does some really cool things with his voice that uh, he adds some little effects in there, a little bit of, you know, shakiness to it or a little wobble to his voice. And It adds this cool effect. It makes for a very enjoyable performance. And it adds to, it. it, it, he does with his voice what I would describe as being kind of like a whammy bar does to a guitar. It bends it in a way.
0: Yeah, and he's very measured with it. You know, it it, kind of like when we talked about, was it with the Guess Who? Yeah, I can't remember. But either way, he's got a very measured way of screaming and singing at the same time, you know, Mm -hmm. and not sounding just crazy. It's got a good tone, it fits in, and that's Mm -hmm. why I'd like to hear the vocals maybe brought a little more forward, but it seems like with this album, especially in the production, they're looking to key in on the guitar and the organ and the drum, the instrumentation much more.
1: But I'll say everybody in this band gets to showcase their talent at some point in this song.
0: This is another showcase song. Yeah, it certainly is. So not a bad song. Mm -hmm. So then we move to the third song that closes out the first side. And the reason there's only three songs on this is because obviously this is Child in Time and it's...
1: Yeah, this one's three quarters of the side. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) It, It clocks in over 10 minutes. So it's a long song. This is a song that I really, really enjoy. It's kind of an epic anthem in a way, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've I've listened to it for years. I so to give you a little bit about the song, the main theme of the song, the main little riff of the song mm-hmm. is actually a slowed down version of a song by It's a Beautiful Day called Bombay Calling. They used to mess around with it a lot, mm-hmm. and they finally slowed it way down and kind of give it that creepy, surreal feeling. You know, uh, the words were written by Gillen on this one. Um, even though it was credited to the whole band, but it it's basically about a protest to the Vietnam War.
1: Very effective protest, too.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And this song became an anthem for the anti-communist groups in yeah. Eastern Europe during the Iron Curtain period. So it's a pretty important song, and it's obviously mm-hmm. the longest song on the album. Yeah, I've got a ton of notes written on this song. <laughs> so do I. And, you know, I'll say up front, this is without a doubt my favorite song on the album. I know we'll get to winners and losers, but... This this is my favorite song and yeah. it always has been. I love the intro. I love the organ intro with a little bit of the cymbals into it. This one does have probably very prominent reverb and echo on the vocals mm-hmm. more so than I wish and I only it noticed that
1: haunting what it does.
0: Yeah, and I I kind of wish it didn't have that as much but at the same time mm-hmm. it fits, you know. Yeah. And, and I didn't even really notice it. I've listened to this album hundreds of times, mm-hmm. right? Heard this song hundreds of times, and I've never until I sit down to review it. I've never really thought, oh, those vocals have a ton of reverb on them. It fits into this song perfect. This um, is the song
1: where I believe I've heard two percent of this album <laughs> oh, because uh, part two of this song where it goes into that. Yeah, the- yeah. That, I believe, is uh, in Twister when they uh, do their first storm chase.
0: We're going to have to check into that, because yeah. I've seen Twister, and you would have thought I would remember mm-hmm. that. Plays the, the video of it. Well, and that's one of the things, after you get through the first verse mm-hmm. and stuff, when he goes in that little falsetto harmony, his wailing, yeah. and it kind of grows and grows mm-hmm. until it's finally like a scream.
1: Yeah, there's so many emotions in there. Everything from sorrow to fear to anger. The, this thing just progresses. It's, it's beautiful.
0: The funny thing is, as many times I've listened to this, my first note on this was, it's got a really good guitar solo in the middle. And yeah. then you know what I did? I scribbled out good and wrote, this has got a great... Guitar solo in the middle. Richie Blackmore Mm -hmm. blows this one out of the water. And I love this because it kind of comes up to a semi-crescendo in the middle, but then it slows way back down and goes back to that main little slow riff. Mm -hmm. You know, back to the organ, the main riff, you know, from Bombay Calling that they kind of worked out. Dun, 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 do, 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 do. And it's kind of haunting in a way. I just love it. You know, the lines drawn between good and bad. This song, I could say a lot of things about it. I just absolutely love this. I love the wailing at the Mm -hmm. end, especially. He goes absolutely, Gillen goes absolutely crazy at the end, Mm -hmm. wailing into a huge crescendo with organ solo, and then he just ends it screaming. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of A Day in the Life by the Beatles, the way that ends with the. Big mm-hmm. note on the five pianos, but this is like in a hard rock fashion you know it's so it 's with a keyboard yeah it's just kind of because it does it builds and builds and builds yeah. at that end, and you got the screaming and screaming and then boom mm-hmm. you know it just ends with that one note hit on yeah. multiple instruments, and there isn 't much i don't like about this song
1: no uh i 'm going to jump into lyrics like I always do. this is uh one song on the album where I can understand what the lyrics are saying, or at least some of them, and it's very well written. The blind man shooting at the world, that's an excellent representation of war because it's just so dangerous that you've got a person who
0: can't see what they're shooting at that's firing a lot of bullets. I mean, that's kind of a rhetorical statement, and a literal statement, yeah, isn't it? it? I mean, it, it's got visionary lyrics, but they mm-hmm. all mean something, too. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing you notice through this. You've got a lot of, like, anti-war songs and anti-drug songs at the same time. And you right. wouldn't think of a hard rock band as being anti-drug. No. And I don't know how anti-drug they really were. But,
1: and to have, like, a heavy song, because typically soldiers like heavy music, especially, you know, modern day. They They're very much into the the heavier uh, metal type stuff.
0: Yeah. Don't you think child in time though? It has like the perfect, I love how it just starts slow and yeah. just has that done, done, mm-hmm. done. Yeah. It just, it, you've got that, but then it just builds and builds. Yeah. Until it's about ready to blow up and then it slows mm-hmm. back down yeah. and, and then it does it again. But at the end this time mm-hmm. it, does blow up right yeah a lot
1: of what war is is you know uh, your that build up to the battle the battle comes uh maybe it ebbs a little bit it's not a full-on fight you know somebody chickens out and retreats and then it builds up again and then somebody chickens out and retreats and then they've decided they're backed into a corner and then so it builds up again then it really takes off
0: yeah, but I think I think you are right. This song, probably out of any of them on the album, you can hear the lyrics the yeah. best, and, and that's just because the song, the lyrics are sang during the slowdown portion of the song, and all he does during the sped up mm-hmm. part is wail, you know, and scream, yeah. which I I think it fits in perfect with this song.
1: Yeah, the other lyric that I wrote down that I really like is he talks about wait for the ricochet meaning that a bullet has two chances to kill you just because it missed you on the way in doesn't mean it's not going to ricochet and get you on the way back.
0: I don't see that as literal with a bullet. I see it mm. as being like, when you come home from war and you yeah. have injuries or mm-hmm. mental issues or yeah. PTSD, which you yeah. know wasn't really known as at all that of that time, baggage
1: that you're taking on that you don't
0: even know about. That, that's how I take that as, yeah. but I guess it can have kind of a double meaning there, right?
1: Yeah. Well, once again, you know, we're sitting here listening to the same song, and you're getting that, and I'm getting this, and. It's the same song. It's beautiful. Well, that's what um, music's about, right? Yeah, and this actually made me wax a little poetic. I have to write down, or I have to read what I wrote down here. I said, "War is an adrenaline-fueled murder rampage by two enemies using their friends as swords and shields."
0: Yeah, it's a good way to
1: put it. And that's what this song was saying to me. Is it's uh, it's I mean, there's a good point in being anti-war.
0: You know, what's funny. Is the one good thing that come out of the sixties and seventies, especially, you know, when we're talking music, is you look at how many songs were written against the war. You know, I think at the time people thought that, you know, maybe minds are changing and the new generation isn't going to be the same, but it's unfortunate because we are. Yeah, we're still we're still fighting battles. Yeah. I don't think it'll ever change. No. But Child and Time closes out side one of the vinyl. It's an excellent song, but now we're on to side two. Side two. And it opens up with Flight of the Rat. A
1: very fast song.
0: <laughs> yeah, this this is a pretty pretty fast song, and this mm-hmm. is the second longest song on the album. This one's eight minutes long. So this was the last song they recorded, and they recorded this one at Delane Leah Studios in London. It's kind of funny because Roger Glover actually did a rearrangement of a Russian orchestral interlude. It was named Flight of the Bumblebee, but they changed it up so much. And they named it Flight of the Rat. And this, according to the band, is actually an anti-drug song.
1: You can kind of hear that little bit of that Flight of the Bumblebee at times because it's it's a very uh, fast song.
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I was listening to some of the lyrics getting kind of into the Tyler fashion, you know. Yeah. When I was 17, my mother said to me be careful what you touch you shouldn't take so much so it's kind of interesting because it it does you know refer to drugs and taking certain things and so Mm. you know it's really interesting song i really like the use of the organ in this it's got really good guitar in this song again and then it gets amazing after the organ in the middle of the song this song, if you want to really check out John Lord's amazing playing on organ, the organ solo in this is the best on this album, in my opinion.
1: I believe that. This this song's got some really excellent uh, performance, once again. One of the things I think about this is uh, they have substituted drug abuse for drum
0: abuse yeah because it does have an amazing drum solo he beats the crap out of his drums i feel
1: so bad for that drum but in a measured way and it sounds good (laughs) you know and and that's the the thing is I you know i I say that drum abuse but like i just really would hate to be the drums after he's done playing (laughs) but boy he plays them so good
0: well and i made one note on this song that Mm -hmm. this is the best song musically on the album yeah, I think it's the song that shows off drums, the guitar, and mm-hmm. the the organ keyboards equally. Yeah. And it's funny because in a lot of their songs, they switch from a drum solo to a keyboard solo to a guitar solo to a keyboard and guitar solo, and they, mm-hmm. they mix it in. But they make sure you get a taste of all of that.
1: I draw it down. These guys played this song to pieces. Everything was smoking when they finished, including the studio. And maybe that's why... They, uh, this was the last one they recorded at that, uh, Delaney, Leah studios, uh, maybe the studio burned down because they started a fire. with
0: Yeah. Them. Or they got kicked out. Uh, that could be too. Because one thing you can say <laughs> about this music is I would say, you know, even look at Black Sabbath, okay? Mm-hmm. This is one notch above Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath is a little slower and creepier. Yeah. This has got some serious runs. Some of it, yeah. funny enough, some of these songs kind of remind me of what Judas Priest later did with their things. They mm-hmm. they did something different with it, but it yeah. it has that feeling to to me. Yeah,
1: these guys show you just how quickly and accurately they can pick out every note and every like strike of the chord whatever. It's it's awesome to watch these guys and listen to them. Whereas Flight of the Bumblebee uses the violin. To do that, they do the same thing with the guitar in Flight of the Rat.
0: Yeah, this is just an amazing song and one of my favorite on mm-hmm. on the album. I, I think, like I said, musically, it's the best song yep. as far as showcasing everything together, and it's just a good song for sure. So we move on to the next song, Into the Fire. This was written by Roger Glover. The lyrics is a warning against drugs, mm-hmm. so another anti-drug song. It's got an ominous
1: marching beat to it that just, you know, continues to march, 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 you know.
0: Yeah, and I to me this this song is kind of muddy sounding. Mm-hmm. It, it's not I don't know if it's not mixed well or, or whatnot. To me, there's nothing really great about the song. The the guitar's not great in it. There's mm-hmm. nothing that really showcases it. The organ's not super great, the drums aren't great. It's just kind of a muddy sounding mm-hmm. mix. That there is something about this song that reminds me of The Doors. Really? And it's probably The Keyboard. You think I would like that because I'm such a big fan of The Doors, yeah. but I'm not a fan of this song. I, I, I
1: know. And that's what I, I feel bad saying that to you because I know how dearly Jim Morrison sits <laughs>
0: within your heart. So. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say Jim Morrison sits dearly within my heart. You know, in fact, mm-hmm. as the years went by, I'm more of a Doors fan than I am a Jim Morrison fan. And I know that sounds strange, but, you know, Jim Morrison doesn't exist without the Doors, and the Doors wouldn't exist without Jim Morrison and their same being. So it's kind of a full package, you know.
1: And this song reminds me of The Doors for some reason. Well, and that's fine.
0: You know, it it could. I I just think, for me, musically, this didn't stick out, and it's really Mm -hmm. muddy sounding to me. Not bad, just Mm -hmm. not great for me.
1: Yeah, there was something a little come on, baby, light my fire about this song, but yeah. Well, um, maybe
0: that's because it's called Into the Fire. You're not just thinking about fires. That's true. Who knows? Yeah. But it is about (laughs) drugs. In fact, he talks about a a mandrake root Mm -hmm. in this song, and we had to look that up, and it's actually a hallucinogenic root of a plant. Very popular
1: in the Mediterranean Yeah,
0: we're going to have to get us some of that. So this song actually fades into the next song. Living Wreck. And it's one of the earliest songs written for the album. Prominently features Richie Blackmore on a, he does a guitar solo on an octave pedal, which kind of gives it that crazy sound. Uh, the song opens with drums and a scream from Gillen. Uh, th- this song has a really
1: good, in fact, this one and Into the Fire, they have a good strutting beat to them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that right it does have a good beat to it. The, the, um, these two are a good pair to put together. It kicks into an instrumental break in the middle, which is okay. Mm-hmm. It's not the strongest on yeah. the album as far as I'm concerned, but it's pretty good. Some warped organ sounds that are pretty yeah. darn good and the the distorted guitar in the main riff is is mm-hmm. good. It's not you know Blackmore's best work, but it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I I have written off to this idea that this is a good example of just musicians playing. They're very capable uh musicians.
0: Yeah, I I it's kind of a filler song for me yeah. on this album but but not mm-hmm. a bad one. I don't skip it. You know, it, yeah. it sounds to me like Living wreck is about an untidy and an untidy and strange woman. It's
1: uh what I've got here is a, it sounds like she's someone that makes big talk, of big promises, you know, but just yeah. never delivers.
0: Yeah, and it seems it to me like she's just a, kind of a trollop that wants him, but he doesn't want to get into all the troubles she causes or something. Because <laughs> she's
1: a living wreck.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it also sounds like he didn't find that out for a little while, so it might so be too may, late. He might have been burned a couple times before. Huh? Yeah, so an okay <laughs> song, you know, not not a bad mm-hmm. song at all. And then we move on to the last song of the album. It's a pretty short album, really, only seven yeah. songs, and it's Hard Lovin' Man. Hard loving, not Loving. Yeah, they dropped a G. Drop the g so this song was created from a roger glover bass riff that they you know kind of was developed out of a jam session with the band
1: yeah this is an excellent rhythm i've heard this uh kind of rhythm in other songs like barracuda from heart um even a country song uh Hooked on Eight Second Ride, Chris Ledoux. There's a dun, dun, dun,
0: dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it does yeah. have that galloping main riff. Yeah, that just galloping goes through, is a good word for yeah, it. Yeah, it gallops throughout. So, this, funny enough, is the first track they recorded for the album, I recorded at Delane Leah Studios in London. I said it, I, I put a note that it was the second longest song on the album over seven minutes, but I don't think that's right because I think Flight of the Rat was a little bit longer. I think you're right, yeah. So, I can't trust my own notes, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. I like the opening riff. Because it's got that real creepy organ on it. You know, this. Just,
1: and of the seven minutes, most of it's instrumental.
0: It didn't sound like an organ that I just did there. No,
1: it sounded more like a, a rat flying.
0: Yeah, it's got a really good guitar solo in the middle. And Gillen, again, in this this song, screams screams his head off, but it fits perfect. It's got a good breakdown in it. And it's got crazy, crazy-ass mm-hmm. guitar at the end from Blackmore. And according to legend, <laughs> he did that to irritate the producers. You know, I, I can believe that because there's like some
1: sort of... I, I wrote down here the guitarist didn't know the song ended, so the rest of the band started playing again
0: well apparently you know according to legend and from a Blackmore saying he was just rubbing his guitar strings against the wall and the window mm-hmm. frame and the door frame and just causing all kinds of chaos and you know it's funny because it seems to fit i mean it's yeah. a crazy ending but it mm-hmm. it still seems to work
1: yeah um there was a, a little bit of discord with the keyboard in the middle that i I felt was hard on the ears. But once again, it's just a really hard playing on it.
0: it. It's funny because we said it before, but that's what's funny about these songs is they're so heavy and driven fast yeah. for the most part. You know, there's not a slow song on this album, really. Oh, no. Child and Time is probably the closest thing to a slow, but it's yeah. just got slow sections. Mm-hmm. Then you throw the organ in, which, you know, the Doors are one of the, you know, going back to mm-hmm. them, one of the best known groups mm-hmm. to utilize the organ. But this is used in this heavy rock. It's just yeah. kind of a strange feel, but it's so perfect to me.
1: And you know, maybe that's what it is for me because it just it, it's a different thing than I've ever heard before. I've never heard a, a heavy metal organ before. Yeah,
0: it's different, isn't
1: it? You know, and I I gotta say, like I've heard of the band Deep Purple, and I've heard that they were like one of the first heavy bands, but I didn't like really recognize them. And I really enjoyed this album. It was uh, it was a good. Well,
0: when you get into um, like smoke on the water Mm -hmm. that's on Machine Head and Machine Head as a whole, they don't. Definitely don't showcase the organ as much mm-hmm. as they do in this. Yeah. It is used, and I love like the way they use it in the song Lazy, and we're, we're mm-hmm. definitely going to review that album at some point because that's a groundbreaking album without a doubt. Yeah. But this album is an amazing kickoff, and maybe that's why Deep Purple says they're not a heavy metal or a hard rock band. They're a heavy rock blues band. Maybe by throwing that organ in, they feel that makes them a blues band and nothing else. Call it what Call it what you will. I've always enjoyed the album. It is what it is. Well, I've certainly enjoyed this album myself. So do we want to get to winners and losers? Let's do it. Winners and losers. So what would you say are your favorite songs on the album? And what would you say are your least favorite songs on this album? You know,
1: I'm right in with you, I'm sure. Let's Uh, see. Child in Time is my top favorite. That was uh, everything I could have hoped for in a song. It didn't feel like 10 minutes. Felt a lot shorter, and maybe it just because I I like the message of it. I like the tone of it. Like your dad, I think I myself am a pacifist hippie. And so I love the message of this song. And I really got that message strongly throughout the entire song with the words, the writing, the uh, singing style.
0: Everything. That's what I was going to say is I think the reason you like that is because you're so into lyrics. That's the one song you could understand what they were saying.
1: But, you know, it wasn't just the lyrics. Like I, the the way they played their instruments was the exact same thing. It it, it all gave that same
0: message. Yeah. 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 It's an amazing song. So what yeah. else would you rate up there?
1: Flight of the Rat. I really had fun with that one. I, I, that was my second favorite. Interesting. So, yeah. Wh- where do you stand
0: on favorites? Well, why don't you tell me what your least favorites are?
1: Okay. Least favorite, Into the Fire. I pointed that one out just because I only had one note written on it. So I'm like, uh, obviously that one's had the least amount
0: of impact on me. Do you have another one that's uh, least favorite on this album?
1: I'll I'll go with Hard Lovin' Man. It wasn't a bad song. I just I, I think I wasn't prepared for for what I what this would do to my ears. That yeah, that that's Discord. Fair. I probably had that same feeling that the, the engineer had. <laughs> yeah, what are <laughs> you like, doing with your guitar? Please stop that. No, I can <laughs> It's I, right in my ears I on I my get headphones. It. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: get it. What about yeah. you? You're right. We are right in line with almost everything. Without a doubt, my favorite song on the album is Child in Time. A lot of that's because of history that I have with the song. You know, it's not a heavy radio play song. In fact, I don't know if I've ever even heard it played on the radio. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a perfect mix of lyrics. All the all the sounds. I don't know. They would play this on the radio. It's a 10-minute song. Yeah that's, yeah, that's part of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, without a doubt, that's my favorite song. And funny enough, since you've stolen my notes, apparently, my second favorite <laughs> song is Flight of the Rat. Maybe I just really like your dad. <laughs> and it's a really close second to Child and Time because I think Flight of the Rat, like I said mm-hmm. earlier, is better musically. And I don't mean that. Mm-hmm. It's not a better song, but I just think that it's more prominent in the guitar solo, the organ solo, the drum solo. Mm-hmm. It's just more prominent in this. And and I probably yeah. like Child and Time a little more because of my history with it and mm-hmm. because of the meaning behind it and yeah. and because of the variety of the length of the song, right? Yeah.
1: But Flight of the Rat I think really showcases the the instruments. Each individual instrument, as well as the the singing and the writing, well, not I don't know about the writing because I couldn't really
0: understand the words. I didn't need to <laughs> no, you don't need yeah. to you just need to feel the music, you and, know,
1: and you know that's that's what that's something that deep purple has left me with is that I can feel what the singer is trying to convey, not just by listening to what they're saying, but how they're saying it, how he's singing it. And that that's something that Deep Purple has shown me that I'm going to carry on forever.
0: Well, one place where we're different, you know, going on my favorite songs, one of your least favorites was Hard Loving Man. That's probably mm. my third favorite. I really like that song. I really like the organ in it, and I just like everything about it. It's a good song to me. But my least favorites were Right Online Again. Into the Fire is my least favorite mm. song on this album. <laughs> and it's not a bad song. For this album having seven songs... That falls number seven for me, but I'm not going to skip that song either. I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm just rating it compared to the other songs, and it's sure. it just doesn't do it for me yeah. as much. And we went over that. And probably my mm-hmm. second least favorite song would be Living Wreck. Once again, it's a good song. It's just not my yeah. favorite. You, you know, know, Living Wreck. If if I could,
1: if it would have had more clear lyrics, if the lyrics would have or the vocals would have been more front and center. Then I probably would have, because I, I like quirky, weird uh, songs, and this one was a kind of a quirky, weird song.
0: Yeah, and it kind of is. And I, I think for me, the, the musical side of it, the guitar, the organ, nothing was very prominent in it. And when I say not very prominent, I mean compared to the other songs, right? Yeah, the
1: I mean, it's a Deep Purple song. But there's Better Deep Purple on this album.
0: Yeah, but this is a 40-minute album. Yeah. And I'm not going to, when I sit down and listen to this album mm-hmm. or it's on my playlist or whatever it is while I'm working, you know, I don't skip any of the songs. I like every song on yeah. this album. So take it with a grain of salt for what are my least favorite because they mm-hmm. these are not songs I won't listen to. I still enjoy them. So is it time to get to the album rating? Yep. Album rating. So, out of ten, after listening to Deep Purple in Rock from 1970, what does Tyler rate this album after hearing every single song for the first time only? Yeah, except for three seconds. Except for three from seconds. Twister. Yeah, yet to be proven. Yeah, for real. I mean, that two percent. Even so,
1: a hundred percent of this song of this album was really good music. This was really good heavy rock. Blues rock, sure. no well, I'll go with blues rock. Let's see. Is it my cup of tea? This is a British band. So is it my cup of tea? Not 100% my cup of tea. Still, with as much of a performance as they put on, I've got to go really high with them. Do I, I'll give them a 9. I was going to go with 8, but I'm going to give them a 9. That's
0: higher than I thought you would...
1: I I yeah. thought I was going to do lower but you know these guys are uh, a great band and with I think it's because they showed me how to listen to to their their um music not by just listening for what the lyrics are saying but how the lyrics are being said.
0: You know, that's really actually the reason that's surprising to me is you know we we kicked that off with Speed King, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm looking at you as we're listening to this and I'm waiting for your reaction to be like, holy shit, what what have you mm-hmm. got me listening to? You know, we listened to Cream last week and mm-hmm. Guess Who the week before. Now yeah, they've got this, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, Eric
1: Clapton with the slow hand going into... <laughs> doo,
0: doo, doo, doo. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so I, that really surprises me that you enjoyed it that much. Yeah, but you know, it was a lot of fun. So yeah. where, what about you? Where do you put this? Well, I think we're somewhat on the same wavelength on these. You know, seven songs... Leaves me wishing this was a 10-song album or a double album or something, because Mm -hmm. I like every song on this album. Even the two I told you were my least favorite, I like them.
1: Yeah, if they had put three more songs on there, probably wouldn't uh, have your your least favorite. It would bump them up.
0: Yeah, I think just because you rated this a 9, I'm going to go for Prominence. I'm going to go for the history of this album. I'm going to go for what it means to me Mm -hmm. historically and what I think it means to music historically because Mm -hmm. I I think it's the seed of what was to come for Mm -hmm. a lot of heavy rock groups that, whether you like them or not, and a lot of them I don't, right? If you look at something honestly and say, what does it really mean, you know? Because not everybody likes the same stuff, Mm -hmm. but if something was the creator of it, which I think this really is, You know, everybody's inspired by something, right? And these guys, like we said at the beginning of the show, heard Led Zeppelin one and said, let's turn this up. Let's go to the next level, right? And I think they didn't do it. I think they went two or three levels above. I rate this album a nine and a half out of 10. That's really good. I don't know what would make it stronger, but to me, this is... You know, and I'm into all kinds of music. I love Mm -hmm. the Beatles, the Doors, the Who, whatever you call it. Heavy rock is not my style of music, but Deep Purple is. And we'll get into that more with Machine Head and some of their other albums as we get into it. But this album is very important to me, important to history. And there's not a bad song on it. Four very, very strong songs that Mm -hmm. are 10 out of 10 songs to me.
1: I did not expect to like Deep Purple as much as I did. I didn't expect to enjoy this album like just uh looking at the 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 notes or the uh the write up before going into it I didn't expect to have as much fun to to get so much perspective and scope on this as these guys did and they they really took my ignorance and showed me and taught me that's impressive for 40 minutes
0: yeah it's a, it's a good album it's you know the cover's amazing on it intuitive Mm -hmm. as far as i'm concerned you know go check it out if you haven't look it up online Mm -hmm. go to spotify listen to this album because it's an amazing album but until next time make sure to reach out to us at classicvinylpodcast at gmail.com check us out on instagram twitter wherever you find us we appreciate you listening like always we welcome any comments complaints suggestions suggestions for reviews which we actually do have a few emails in of albums we need to get to we just had some lined out but we will get to them i promise and until next time we'll see you later see ya. thank you so much for listening to classic vinyl
1: podcast and don't forget to subscribe on spotify or apple podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts follow us on instagram at classic vinyl podcast for updates and also share us with your music loving friends We'll